Hey there, and welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and each week on this show, I share knowledge and tips and inspiration to help you lose weight and get healthy so you can age well and prevent disease. Now this week, I have Betty, and she is one of my course members. She has rocked it. She's taken consistent action and seen amazing results with her health. She's reversed her prediabetes, and she's been able to break through a weight loss plateau that she's had for many, many years. Now, in this story, you're going to learn exactly the steps that she took, kind of some mindset beliefs that she had to overcome, like a low-fat diet, for example. Um, She had to embrace intermittent fasting. She had to embrace changing her environment and really learning about how food affects your body. She's done so great, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, Betty. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast today. I'm really excited to share your story and for our listeners and members just to get to know you a little bit better. Hi, Morgan. Happy to be here. Thank you. So we did a little bit of prep work beforehand. And what we're going to do is kind of work our way down the questions and dig a little bit deeper into your why, you know, why you joined the program, what you've gotten out of the program, some mindset blocks, especially related to eating low fat, um, kind of being indoctrinated with that for your whole life, how you've overcome that, how you've really cut back on the sugar. Um, and I think one of the most important things is how you reversed your prediabetes, because that's a huge, huge deal. So why don't you just start by explaining a little bit more um, about who you are, like your family, your work, your hobbies, you know, whatever else you wanted to share so we can get to know you better. Well, hello. <laughs> Uh, My name is Betty. I'm a physical therapist and I have been for about 40 years. Um, I have two sons and I'm married. Um, The way I got into this program was um, I was in the beginning of COVID and we were eating lots of famous Amos cookies (laughs) after, after dinners and I, and pies and, Um, I noticed I was putting on weight above what I allow myself to put on. Um, And then I stumbled on Morgan's program. So I signed up. And right when I started the program, you had your sheet that included all of your numbers. And it was just worked out well because I had just had a doctor's appointment and didn't get my numbers back. But then when I did, I found out that um, I was well into the pre-diabetic range. Interestingly enough, my doctor wasn't terribly alarmed about that. There was also an elevation in um, liver enzyme, which he was more concerned about. And so he wanted to do a recheck in a month. But the um, 117 or 118 on the blood glucose really jumped out at me. And it occurred to me that if I didn't do something about that, I was going to be diabetic next year. That, that was pretty much what, what I saw. And so um, the program just worked, worked really well with it. I was really working towards that one month at the end of the month, um, when I had my 
blood sugar checked. It went from 118 to 107 and my um, liver enzymes were normal, completely normal, well, well into the normal range. Um, and then um, since then I got a glucose monitor. I'm not sure that I trust the monitor that I got. Honestly, I got the cheapest one I could get because I wasn't sure if I would tolerate sticking my fingers. But um, with, the, with the monitor that I had, which I've since learned that a monitor can vary as much as 50, can, can be within what it's built to do, if it's in within 15 points, so it can have a 15 point error in either direction, which really kind of, kind of swayed me. I've actually returned the one that I bought. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, that's a pretty big range. Yeah. I'm shopping now, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but in any case, based on that glucose monitor, my range went between 85 at best and 105 at worst. So um, pretty significant drop there. I mean, and I, we were talking, it was, you said fortuitous that you, that you signed up for the course because you didn't know that you were pre-diabetic. And I think that's one of the scariest things about diabetes is sometimes it takes a while to develop signs of hyperglycemia. And often people don't recognize they have type two diabetes until it's pretty advanced. And so I think it was really wise of you to go and get that doctor's appointment. And for anyone listening, if you haven't checked your blood in the last year, go and get a full blood work because it's um, something that you need to know. And Betty was talking about the list of numbers or the chart of numbers um, that she got right when she signed up for my course. And that's essentially tracking, you know, your blood pressure, your blood sugar, your cholesterol, your triglycerides, your waist circumference, your, your body weight, your BMI, I think it's important and more numbers. It's important to know your numbers because they give you a snapshot of your health. And I think they're kind of motivating. Betty and I are both physical therapists and we have worked with people who have diabetes. Have you worked with people who had amputations, neuropathy? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, um, heartbreaking, I think is yeah. the word. And, and so having that vision of me in 20 years really was extremely, still is extremely alarming. It's, um, tells me I need to do something about, about this. So having had a map of how to start working with that right there for me at my fingertips was, was huge. And I think I don't, I don't know your doctor. And I think that a lot of doctors would be in the same position where doctors tend to, I think sometimes treat extremes and you were in the pre-diabetic range, you weren't in the diabetes range and doctors only have so much time with you and they do not have time to give you the education um, and follow through kind of accountability that you need the roadmap that you were talking about to help with your pre-diabetes. You know, and so I think sometimes doctors look over these really important risk factors that can and should be treated proactively simply because they don't have the time to do so, mm -hmm. not because they don't care. I think it's a lack of time. Um, and so I think that it's important to advocate for yourself and to educate yourself and to not only rely on if the doctor says you have a problem. So that was something that I think was really wise of you to do is 
um, you know, recognize, mm, even though my doctor is not concerned about this, I'm concerned about this, and I'm going to take action. And I think that that's part of your why, you know, I'm huge on keep your eye on your why and your mm-hmm. why has to be bigger than any excuse. Um, so you can keep taking consistent action. So can you give our listeners a broader view of your deep why besides diabetes prevention? Well, of course, my vision of a career of people who have had (laughs) diabetes, but also um, my life, you know, and what I want to be doing with it and what I don't want to be doing with it. I I have two sons, both who live in different parts of the country. And um, because of COVID, I'm missing them terribly. I bet. But um, I really want to be able to go visit with them someday, be a grandma, I hope. (laughs) Hint, hint, if the sons are listening. (laughs) (laughs) They know, they know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and and my husband just retired in August. And um, I wasn't retired when COVID hit, but it's at the moment, I'm not working. Mm -hmm. So I I wasn't working, I was working on an as needed basis. And it just didn't make sense for me to go in, especially my, my husband is 65. And that was the cutoff age for for risk. And it's like, even if I was going to do it, I didn't want to bring it home. So, um, but we, we had planned to do a lot of travel this year, we've canceled so many plans. Oh, um, but you know, when, when, when we can get out and do it, it, it's almost like the clock is still ticking on our age. Yeah. Though we're staying put and want to keep things as good as possible to do the things that we want to be able to do when we can do them safely. Absolutely. So I want a little bit um, more specific picture about your health before joining my program, because pre-diabetes wasn't the only thing that you had going on. Correct. Um, and, um, I, and I'll, I'll say one thing that I have come to see with aging. It seemed like up until mid fifties, health just was there. And, um, I guess after, at some point it hit me, this is something you have to fight for, <laughs> you know, you want to health, you have to fight for it and, and you have to make it a commitment. So um, the first issue that I had was that I, I developed, actually when I was pregnant, it was when I first discovered acid reflux in my oh. life. But yeah, that's good too, yeah. Stuff kind of gets shifted around in there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And but, but then as I was probably around before menopause, which for me was mid 50s, um, I started developing more acid reflux and um, was on actually this I haven't even talked to you about this part. I was on a fair amount of medication for it uh, of proton pump inhibitors and my um, GI doctor really increased those quite Mm -hmm. quite a bit to which I've since found was an unhealthy range which I think is an unhealthy range I won't say for everyone I'm just saying that I think there were consequences Mm -hmm. and so because of the um, 
but, but I wanted to be able to get off of that afterwards. Another doctor in particular, um, a um, ENT that I went to, when I told, well, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Anyway, I was on all this proton pump inhibitor and I wanted to back off of it based on what another doctor told me. And um, so I gradually, literally weaned myself off of, not off of it completely, but I actually took the pills, opened them and pulled out beads from them each day. So I was, because if I just cut to the over-the-counter amount, I had more reflux, I continued. But I just gradually, I mean, that was pure insanity. I, I cut the pills down. And um, what I had later found, and, but also, so I started reading more about it. And so two of the pluses for, for getting going on this program was that I cut off eating at 7.30 p.m., and I, you know, and I read that was my first real regulation of my diet because for foods related to, to um, acid reflux. But the thing is, was that I had already somewhat started intermittent fasting, just because I had stopped off all snacking in the evening. But then around that time, I got um, a little bit thereafter, I got diagnosed with osteoporosis. And that's what I'm saying the implication is, because I think that part of the reason for my osteoporosis diagnosis was the proton. I had one doctor later tell me that melts your bones. <laughs> you know, you got to get off of it. So, um, and, but I have not been able to get, I'm still, still working at that. Um, I kind of, vary between H2 blockers and proton pump inhibitors. Now I, I'm trying, I'm still, that's still a work in progress, but in any case, I was diagnosed with osteoporosis. So being a PT again, seeing down the road, yeah. knowing what can happen with osteoporosis. Um, I, I really got very involved in, in learning about osteoporosis and I, um, and um, I, I just began a regular exercise program as is important for bone health. And that was like the first time in my life that I began exercising literally, I want to say literally, every day, more or less, more or less every day, doing, doing something and getting an exercise program. So I've learned a lot about osteoporosis, done a little bit of teaching about it. And um, so... So uh, that's, that's, those are the two challenges I had. And then boom, here I found out about the prediabetes. So I'm, I'm, I'm back to the drawing board and learning about that. I think it's important to note here, you know, you are a physical therapist. You're a very well-educated woman. And I think it's really interesting to me that a lot of healthcare practitioners don't always have the best health. And it's like, we know we need to exercise. And you said until you were diagnosed with osteoporosis, you weren't regularly exercising every day. And isn't it interesting that even myself, I have my own health habits that I'm working on. Um, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to touch on it because I feel like there's a lot of unhealthy healthcare workers. 
That's that's absolutely true. I know, and I'm not saying I thought that I didn't exercise, but I certainly mm. wasn't didn't have the level of commitment to it that I had after I had that diagnosis. And what I have to what I didn't say fast forward was the last time I had a DEXA, it was not in the osteopor it was in the osteopenia range, not in the osteoporosis. Yes. And so for those who aren't familiar with the terminology, it got better. Osteopenia. <laughs> yeah, osteopenia is not as bad as osteoporosis. So it's like, you know, that's a um, an improvement in her bone health. Um, so I think that that's really awesome. And I think that's part of your why too, because why do you exercise? You exercise for your health. And I think as we age, it becomes so much more than I want to look good in my clothes. I want to feel confident. It becomes, I want to be functional. You said that earlier, you wanted to go hiking. You want to be a grandma. You want to be mobile and able to help your kids. So I think that that's, it's so important to recognize that and to, to, to lean into that when we're tempted to not do our exercises or when we're tempted to not eat things that are um, going to facilitate a healthy, a healthy long-term lifestyle. So yeah, um, one thing that I, that I would add was after the last time I dieted, I had kept my weight within a four or five pound range. And I, I always stayed within that range, but so, and that range was overweight wasn't terribly overweight, but was overweight. But I had pretty much at that point, at this point, that that's me, that's what my weight is. And that's that. So I was really, really past the, um, you know, swimsuit body. Yeah. Anything like that. I just really wanted to be healthy. So that that would that that was it. Now, I will say, having lost weight beyond that amount, it's good. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what I wanted to, um, to kind of touch on next is, well, I guess we'll get to that kind of in the results part, but we had this question, you know, before you signed up for my program, what weight or health challenges were you facing? And I think that you pretty much answered that you had osteopenia that you were, that you've reversed from osteoporosis. You had slightly elevated blood sugars. You were in a comfortable weight range that was in the overweight category and you weren't sure if you could um, get out of that because that's kind of where you'd been forever. So let's move on and segue to what did you try? What had you tried in the past to lose weight? And I really like to know what worked and what didn't work. Okay. First, the first, the, my first um, weight loss effort was when I was in my early twenties and my weight was in touched into the one twenties. And that was, <laughs> that was, and at that point, I guess now I would, I would say what I did was I worked on emotional eating and, um, or eating without being hungry. And at that point in time, I made a conscious decision to cut back on, not cut back, but cut back on junk food and not eat beyond my hunger. And that did work for me then. Yeah, then. <laughs> a lot of weight. But um, then after having my kids, that's when I really gained weight. And um, my weight 
got as high as my pregnancy weight without the baby. <laughs> oh, really? I've never heard anyone put it like, put, put it just like that. That's yeah. Oh, that was in, in, in the one sixties. And okay. so that's a, big, that's a 40 pound difference from 120 to 160. And for those listening, Betty is a petite, a petite person. One person, my, I heard 120 and I'm thinking, I don't, I think I was 120 in like sixth grade, you know, <laughs> I was, I was five, I'm five, eight. So yeah, I'm five. Five, five, two and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in any case, so and at that point, and yeah, that, there was another health problem. I guess that's what I, I, I stay healthy because of my health problems. Right. Yeah. Was because I, I developed plantar fasciitis. Oh, okay. And one doctor and the doctor told me to um, lose weight because and he's the one doctor who's ever been that frank with me. He was just a lose weight, do this, do the sugar busters diet. Hmm. And I did, and I did, I, and I did lose weight. And um, I never got up to the 160s again, but I did years later, gradually it became less, committed to it. I mean, I never took it on as a lifestyle. I took it on with the goal of losing weight. Mm -hmm. And then when um, I started getting into the mid 150s, I again, um, that time South Beach was popular. So I read the South Beach book and followed it somewhat. And also went back to some of my sugar buster stuff, which was pretty, they were both very similar. And um, I was losing weight and doing real well with it until I got to my, to my low weight, which was 144, 0.4, 144. <laughs> <laughs> not, not two tenths of a pound heavier yeah. or lighter. Well, no, it would be heavier, but it wouldn't get any lighter than 144.4. And, um, and that's where my plateau, my little stumble here was at 144.4. So you had gotten <laughs> as low as you could on your own. Yeah. You, no, no, no. With your diet, I had, I, when I started with you, I had gotten to 148. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then when I started the diet, I reached a plateau at 144.4. Oh, I gotcha. get through that. But um I, but when I was on the um, South Beach diet, I just decided, figured this is where I'm supposed to be. 144.4, that, that, that's my low, that's my goal. And that's where, you know, I want to, you know, so if I could stay there, okay, that's where it is. I just kind of accepted that was that. And today, and so for those who aren't familiar with my program, I think it's important to give you an overview. Like there's the four core modules and I think that you mentioned you really like the first module, which is called the follow through formula. And then the second module is all about fueling our bodies properly. And then the third one is about how to use intermittent fasting. And then the fourth one is stress and sleep and exercise. But then there's six master classes. And so one of the master classes is how to break through a weight loss plateau. And you were able to successfully do that. I don't know if it was from advice in the masterclass, which is essentially just, you know, summarizing all of the tips and tools in the modules. 
Um, but you have successfully broken through, broken through your floor. So can you talk a little bit about that process? Um, well, I think we spoke about it in um, one of the office hours calls. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that the module was coming out. But <laughs> the masterclass one? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that was, I knew the masterclass was going to come out and breaking through a plateau, but that was two weeks away. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to wait two weeks to approach it. But um, you, you kind of methodically went through um, some of the things you could change. Like, can you change your macros? Can you change when you're eating? Can you increase your fast times? And mainly, I think for me, I had originally started the program with um, a carb level that I felt like I could tolerate and not really as low as it could be. Um, and so um, I readjusted my macros. That was one thing and gradually increased my intermittent fasting times. Mm -hmm. And um, I think right around that time was around the second time I, we did, it was like two weeks out from the, from the, um, 24, 20 to 24 hour fast. So I tried to stay true to that. And I think those were the things that got me through to the next level. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And um, you've mentioned just a couple things that I wanted to clarify. You said with your GERD earlier that I'm kind of backtracking, but that you stopped eating at 730. And I want to tell people, I don't tell you when to stop eating. I give you, <laughs> I give you the principles of how to use it. And then you make it fit into your lifestyle. So seven 30 was just the time that Betty picked, um, in case you're wondering, Oh, I should stop eating at seven 30. And then when she, yeah. yeah. And then when she's talking about adjusting her macros, if you're new to macronutrients, there's three main ones, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And we use carb manager, which is an application on your phone to track macronutrients. I think logging food is really important for self-accountability for education and for troubleshooting. And if the better you log your food, I tell my members, the better I can help you. So during office hours, we talked about, you know, where, how many grams of carbohydrates, fats, and proteins was she getting in a day? How should we adjust things to facilitate burning more fat for fuel? So that's essentially kind of how we got through that. Um, and I think it's awesome. I think that your story is really inspiring because um, a lot of women, I think, especially just get comfortable, you know, with, with being overweight and being at a certain weight that they, they would like to weigh less, but they're just not quite sure how. And so I'm really proud of you for taking that consistent, the consistent action, um, and tweaking things as needed to keep seeing progress because it does take that. And, and really, that was exactly I really had no idea. I really didn't believe that I could get any lighter. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't, I didn't, I just really just didn't know how and using the tracker. Um, well, I had cut carbs in the past. I had not really um, tracked how much of what I was eating was so so actually seeing how how much uh, of of proteins and fats and carbs are in what you're eating 
makes a really big difference. Also, I didn't, um, even though I was on those diets, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the carbs in healthy foods. Mm-hmm. So um, starting to look at that helped me make some some adjustments. Yeah, and I think you've, you talked about South Beach. Offline, we were talking about Octavia. Um, I don't think that you tried that, did you, Octavia? No. But no. that's just another example of kind of packaged food. And one thing that I've thought a lot about in the development of this course is why do people go to packaged food products over real food. And I really think it's because of marketing because you read something on the food label that this will help you lose weight, or this is high in protein, or this is, um, this will help reduce your cholesterol, or this is high in fiber and an avocado doesn't come with a food label (laughs) that says I'm high in healthy fats and fiber eat meat to reduce your cholesterol and lose weight you know, but a a packaged protein bar with 30 different ingredients and all these artificial sweeteners, we, we develop that confidence. And so I think when you, in the food that that's going to give you the results that you want when in reality, it might not. And so I think tracking your food on carb manager, it puts the packaged food and real food on an evil on an even playing field. If that makes sense, because you see what's in it, you see carbs, proteins, fats, whether it's a real food or a packaged food. And so I think it helps us break past all the fancy marketing and just really learn about how food affects our body. So that's a really good segue into the next question, which was what's been the most eye-opening or surprising things that you've learned from the program. Um, you put some really thoughtful answers in here. So I'm excited for you to share them. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to refer to my list every now That's and fine. <laughs> but the first thing was that I actually can weigh less than 144.4 because that was really an absolute given in my mind. So that was very big. It starts with belief, right? Everything starts with mindset and belief. So I think that's awesome. And she's looking in her notes now. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) For those who can't see Betty. Um, With the, um, when I found out that I had, I had heard that prediabetes was reversible, but I didn't know how to reverse it. And I didn't know if I could, but just, just seeing that making the changes that I made in 30 days, because that's what it was exactly 30 days between tests, made me think I can do this. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, um, it's, it's motivating when you ha- know you have some success to, to keep going with it. So that that was um, another big, a big thing. Yeah. Another thing that Morgan has in the program is exceptions. And that's something I'm still working on. But um, the first in, in, in that, do you want to explain exceptions or? Yeah, sure. So I, I think some people call them cheat meals or cheat days. And I don't like that terminology because cheat um, has this association with guilt and food should not make us feel guilty. Um, but there are circumstances in life. One of my beloved members calls them exception times instead of exception meals, because mentally that makes more sense to her but it's un, it's unhealthy food essentially, or it's eating outside of your normal eating realm. So for example, an exception meal might be, you're going to a wedding 
and you're not going to track your food because you're just going to eat whatever, whatever they give you on the plate. And you're going to enjoy every single bite and you're going to have the cake and you're going to have the nuts and you're going to have the mints and you're not going to worry about it. Um, another example of an exception time or meal that I use a lot is just eating more of the foods that I would, that I'm already eating. Um, so having a larger portion size, maybe having a healthy dessert, sometimes an unhealthy dessert. Like if we're having friends over and they bring dessert and I want some, or another thing that I do two other things is, um, snacking. So usually I really try to limit my snacks because I don't want that insulin released multiple, multiple times. Uh, more often than it needs to during the day. So for an, ex an exception day, sometimes I just won't care about snacking. And then the last thing is eating at night. So um, Betty and I already touched on the benefits, not really the benefits, but the power of intermittent fasting. And so if I'm eating after dinner, that used to be my normal to have popcorn every single night after dinner. Now it's an exception. Um, so exception meals, exception times are just when you're deviating from your normal. I try to aim for exception foods or meals about 10% of the time, 10 to 20, and then eat relatively healthy 80 to 90% of the time. Okay. So, um, I, because I was worried about the glucose, the blood glucose, I'm really concerned about the diabetes and because I have, you know, I, I, I went, what, what I was gaining weight on was eating tons of famous, famous cookies and pies. <laughs> when, when I started the program, I'm the type of person that once I get that sweet flavor in my mouth, I want more and more and more. Yes. And so I was concerned about taking an exception and my wedding anniversary fell within a little more beyond a month after the program started. And that was really the first time that I was going to take an exception, although Morgan encouraged us to take exceptions sooner. And I will add that eliminating exceptions, I think was easier for me because I knew I could take one. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if an exception if things were absolutely off the table, I think it would have been a lot harder. But yeah, because we always want what we don't like, what we can't exactly, have. and it's that's just not sustainable. So my program is really based around what is sustainable and what is normal, and and how can we live this healthy lifestyle? It's not like a diet; it's just kind of learning how to live a healthy lifestyle. So um, doing that. Um, was more a, cho a choice. And as long as I felt like it was a choice, I think that made it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And so when my anniversary came, um, COVID, we weren't going anywhere, but we have a traditional dinner because we did our honeymoon in Switzerland. And one of our, um, one of our, our signature meals has been veal in a cream sauce with, um, well, with, with the vegetable and potatoes and um, crepe Suzettes smothered in lots of whipped cream. Wow, yummy. So that was our, and we, I, I was concerned about it. One, I was concerned about if this was going to throw me off. And the other thing is I was concerned about was what it was going to do. Inter and and um, that was, so we, we talked about it a little bit and I made that my exception day. And the next day was my fast day. 
And really, I didn't gain any weight from it. And I didn't have any problem going back to um, going back to, to healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing was that I, for me, I, I'm in a little bit of an advantage situation because there are no kids in my house. Yeah. So I, I, and um, COVID makes it a little easier in that regard because we're not going out really. So um, I have complete control of what, what's in my house and what I see. But um, now the famous Amos cookies that were eaten. Am I doing a commercial? <laughs> yeah, right. We are not. We are not sponsors of famous Amos cookies. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are in um, a, a shelf in the laundry room with our overflow pantry. So um, I don't don't see them, and I and and in most things I just. Um, I, I do try and keep healthy snacks where I like berries and nuts. They are very accessible and the other foods just aren't. And I haven't, I haven't really felt like, Oh, I need that. Like I would have felt when I was, when I, when, when I, before I started this right. plan, I just didn't, I, I just really don't. And truth be told, I had other cookies that were what I call daytime cookies that I might not shun that didn't have any chocolate in them. But in any case, I, I, in spite of my, my, my sugar cravings that were a real thing, when I stopped it, I just stopped it. It, And it, it still surprises me that that happened. That that's a, that's a big surprise. I think it's important to note there's three things on your list aside from just kind of quitting the the cookies and the pie cold turkey, right? There's a lot more that goes into having sugar cravings than just eating sugar. So I say sugar begets sugar. The more you have it, the more you want it. But you put three other things on your list here that people might not recognize have a big impact on your cravings. And the first was hydration. The second was intermittent fasting. And the third was all calories are not created equally. And so I tell people, you know, there's not just like one magic thing that you can do, but when we incorporate a lot of different strategies at once, slowly, but surely you are going to not only have more energy, you'll be at a healthier weight, your blood numbers are going to get better. Um, but you're not going to crave these unhealthy foods anymore. So can you, um, talk a little bit more about how, you recognized or you learned all calories are not created equally. Well, let me, let me think about that. Yeah. Because, um, I was raised on worrying about fats, both out of concerns for cholesterol and also concern about weight gain since fats have the most calories. And I was concerned about carbs too, but not, not nearly as much, but, but learning how there's a direct line between sugar, particularly added sugar and fat, as opposed to the fat metabolism that really doesn't make fat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, 
it, it made me look at foods differently. Now, when I talk about fats, I don't eat fried foods. That's another acid reflux thing. Okay. But um, I really don't don't eat deep fried foods. I love them, but I don't eat them <laughs> <laughs> much. Or I didn't before. Now I really don't. Yeah. But um, but as long as the foods are healthy fats, like then it's it's um, it's really better for you. It um, is, yeah. And I think there's um for me when I was researching all this stuff when I had the framework of insulin to work around that really made everything fit into place. So when I stopped thinking about calories and I started thinking about how does this food and the nutrients in this food affect my insulin release, um, that's kind of my new litmus test. So when I used to look at a food label, I would look at calories and fat grams. Um, now I look at added sugars and I look at the ingredients list and protein and fiber and whatnot. But I think, um, I hear that a lot from course members, you know, that they really appreciated the science behind how food is digested and how different types of macronutrients affect insulin. Um, and then another thing that's so overlooked, I know you can appreciate this because you worked in geriatric physical therapy is hydration and what a problem chronic dehydration is. Um, so you said, um, in the notes that we took that being hydrated really improved your energy. So, Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, the first thing, and I, it was really also a nice way to, I, I guess I should backtrack because I thought one of the most valuable things in the course was starting with, without making any dietary changes, reading about making a commitment to what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So um, we're back to module one, the follow through formula. So yeah, yeah before and, you get into any strategies, it's like, okay, whatever I'm going to tell you doesn't make a lick of a lick of difference if you're not going to actually do it. So. And, and before, before even trying anything, write down what your goals, write down why you have these goals and write down what you want to accomplish mm -hmm. and, and all of, all of that. And, um, and, and committing to changing your habits and all of those things. And I think that might've been part of what helped me kick the sugar was, okay, I'm committed to this right. now. Yes. And, and, and so I, and somehow writing it down makes it even more of a commitment. At least it does for me. I wrote this, I'm committed to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for anyone listening who has a hard time committing or staying committed, I want you to listen to what Betty just said take her advice and actually physically write out your goals because it, it makes them more real. It brings them out of your head and it puts them on paper. And it's almost like a little contract that you make with yourself. So, so that made now, what was I, what was the other thing I was supposed to get to before? Hydration. I, I think we were kind hydration. of on hydration. Yeah. Hydration. Yeah. So after that, the very first thing we got to was hydration, which was wonderful because that, you know, it's not like, worry about macronutrients no. or, or what's in the food. It's water. Yeah. It's the easiest thing to change, I think. So that's why we start there. We start like, what's the lowest hanging fruit here, guys? Let's, let's start with water. That'll help. Yeah. Control. And it was drink, drink. Um, well, there was a calculation for how much water you should drink. For yep. Half your body weight in ounces of water a day, at least. So, um, 
right off, I had written down my commitment. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, how am I going to make this happen? So I got a pitcher, which held almost all the water I needed. But I also knew had other beverages calculating into it. And um, so I, I stayed very loyal to it. And the other thing that I didn't mention was be it the diet, be it the water that I was on before, when I noticed I needed to make a change, I also noticed I was waking up tired. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily that I wasn't getting enough sleep. It was just that I was feeling tired. So, and I was putting it on the whole stress of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. so, so I was sort of blaming it on that. And then when I started committing to drinking the water, it was like, I was waking up and I wasn't tired. Um, and I, I, I wasn't forcing myself. I, I had my exercise program and that was scheduled. That, that's usually my first thing in the morning um, when I'm not working. And so I could get into my exercise program without, oh, okay, I have to do this. It was more like, it was more like, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah, let's go. I mean, who doesn't need more energy, especially during COVID? Yeah. So, um, so that, that was an eye opener. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit more about fasting too, because I think that you said you were less hungry um, than when you fat, like when you graze throughout the day, which for those people who aren't familiar with blood sugar insulin response, I think that and marketing. So big food companies, Weight Watchers, Octavia, Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig, I call those the big ones. And um, they advocate that you eat like five to six times a day. And I say, isn't that interesting that they advocate that you eat that often because they're selling you food and they want you to buy more food to eat more often. And when you're doing that, you're raising your blood sugars and your insulin multiple times a day. And so you kind of get this happy little blood sugar high and then this not so happy blood sugar low, and you're constantly running on sugar and intermittent fasting allows you to kind of use what what's available in your body, um, use the available blood glucose in your body and in your glycogen stores for a more steady source of energy. So you're not on this sugar roller coaster all day long. And, um, so that's the science behind it or a snip, a little bit of the science and you kind of wrote out here exactly what the science shows. So can you touch on um, just your hunger when you were intermittent fasting compared to when you were grazing? Yeah, well, what I found once I got on the intermittent fasting schedule and I made the decision that I wasn't going to graze, it was... Um, you know, I, in, another thing that I've done with COVID, one of the joys in my life is that I, I, I paint and I have time to do that now, <laughs> but I'd be painting for a while and come to a challenging spot and I would go down and grab a snack mm -hmm. and, um, or in, intermittently, or I would bring some snacks upstairs with me. And, um, now I, I don't feel 
any need to do that. If I do get hungry during the day, and also one thing that the diet pretty much, I won't go call it this lifestyle. Yeah, I was going to say lifestyle. <laughs> but not the diet, but my diet, the way yeah. I'm eating. Um, if you eat enough at your meals, I found I, I I'm not hungry in between meals. Um, if I haven't eaten enough, then I am hungry, but I can still make a distinction between grazing and actually hungry. So if I'm hungry, I'll get something that will be beneficial. Mm-hmm. What, what can I satisfy this with that's going to be worthwhile versus cookies? Yeah, um, versus grazing. I, we talk in the program, one of the master classes is end emotional eating. And I talk about the differences between conditional or learned hunger. So, you know, you get to a tough spot, you want a distraction. So we're going to go to the food versus true physical hunger. And what are the differences between them? And how can we recognize um, (laughs) the differences? And I think one thing that really sticks with me is the speed of the craving. And so like when you're painting, you're probably not really thinking about food until you get to that hard spot. And then, oh, all of a sudden, I want to go eat something. Right. Now, that's emotional hunger versus physical hunger. It's a slower onset and a gradual build. That's one thing that's really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's not that I'm never hungry between meals, but not so much. It, it, it really surprised me uh, when you've told us in the program about that it's to stop to try and cut out snacking, um, it seemed like that was going to be very difficult. And it really, it really wasn't. Um, but it wasn't because you were properly structuring your meals. Exactly. With enough protein, healthy fat and fiber. And I, I like that you caught yourself when you're like, when I was doing this diet, because I always say, we're not on a diet, we have a diet. There's a very important distinction there. So thank you for catching yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anything else? I, I know that there are some other surprises. You um you were gonna take some clothes to Goodwill and then did you end up keeping yeah, them? Yeah, well that that's that's true. I've um I've gotten so that um I have this rack that I set aside for Goodwill. And in fact now I'm wearing it. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, because it was too small and now it fits. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, now one thing about COVID, I always thought if I lost weight, I, no problem. I was just going to go out and shop. But now, <laughs> but a lot of my clothes are big. So I'm kind of glad I haven't gotten rid of that whole rack. Yeah. It's kind of cool that things, that things are fitting that didn't fit. The, the cool real thing that was really cool was my son gave me a, a college shirt when he was in college and it was not fitting. Oh, that's very sweet, but you know, I need a bigger size suite. Yeah. And I, so I just stuck it, you know, cause he gave it to me. I saved it and I wore it the other day when I Skyped with him and went, now I can wear this. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, I think that's I kind of I think we all have these like items of clothing in our closet that we keep as a litmus test for how we're doing. And I actually have jean shorts from eighth grade because oh my. I, I don't, jean shorts are hard to come by. Um, and so those are kind of my litmus test. I actually have two pair. And it's like, can these fit? And uh, if they can't, then it's like, well, 
better keep working on that pregnancy weight. <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, I'm trying to, I'm reading through our notes, seeing if there's anything else that you want to share. You Did just- you want me to mention my, my little bout when my husband was in the hospital? I think that was a really cool story. Yeah. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, my husband had knee surgery and it was scheduled early in the morning. And so my husband said to me, you better take some food with you was because what if it goes long that he was the first one who said that and because at first I was thinking I it was we were scheduled to leave before I um, was scheduled to eat because I am I usually don't eat from 7 30 until 16 to 18 hours later and um so I, instead of now, I, I have lots also along with the famous Amos bars, I have lots of other bars, the cookies, there are lots of other bars that have lots of sugar in them that are also hidden in the pantry. And normally I would grab a couple of those and go, but instead I was really on it and I got some nuts, some mixed nuts and I made a couple of hard boiled eggs and brought a cooler with me and I'm set. If I'm hungry, I can eat. Um, But really, and I made a cup of coffee, which I don't drink coffee often, but that morning I did bring, I brought, brought it with me. And, um, but normally in the area where he had the surgery and I couldn't go in because of COVID. So Mm -hmm. I was waiting in my car. And as soon as he left and I sat there and took a minute, I was ready a snack. And ordinarily at that time, I would have taken a drive because there are any number, that's a medical area. And I guess that stress comes with sweets because there are tons of little shops that have lots of good pastries. And I would drive over to one of them. But instead, I took my cup of coffee and went for a walk Mm -hmm. and didn't touch the snacks, ended up having hard boiled eggs for lunch when I got back home. And really the walk was really relaxing and I thoroughly enjoyed the coffee and, um, and, and I was holding the coffee and wearing my mask and okay, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the mask did come off then, <laughs> but, but there weren't people around. So it, it worked well enough, but um, it was, I, I felt much better about it. Um, I had a really, a really nice walk. Um, and I, you know, had my phone and my earbuds in and I, it, it was, it was really, it was really um, so much nicer than if, cause I know that if I had gotten a pastry or I had, as soon as I got to the end of it, I would want more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that worked out really well. I think it's a really important kind of distinction between what I teach and other programs is we talk about behavior change. Because you can't just know hard boiled eggs and nuts are good for you. You can't just know, you know, going for a walk for stress relief is better than going to the pastry shop. We, we have to be doing it. And I always say like, you're not going to get any, any results through osmosis. You know, you can watch the videos, you can listen to the podcasts, but until you start to actually change your behavior, nothing is going to change. And I think we talked about in office hours today. I said that I heard the quote, everyone wants change, but nobody wants to change. 
And I'm really, really proud of you because you've made a lot of changes. And even though they're not, um, you know, outside looking in, oh, you know, great. She went for a walk while her husband had surgery. That's a really big deal because I talk about how, what James Clear says in Atomic Habits, every action you take is a vote for or against the type of person you wish to become. You know, you want to be the type of person that handles potentially emotionally stressful, maybe boring situations, depending on the surgery, um, in a way that doesn't involve food. You know, you want to handle, um, situations in life that might be emotional, um, whether that's happy, sad, stressed, tired, we have to learn how to handle those in ways that don't involve food. If we really want to get a grip on our weight and our health. And so I think it's important to realize this is a lifestyle, you know, this isn't just like eat this, don't eat that. We have to really have a holistic approach here. And I think you've really, really embraced that. And I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the help. You're so welcome. Well, I'll see you hopefully next week in office hours. Thanks again for sharing your story. I know that it's going to inspire a lot of people, especially those with osteoporosis who maybe didn't realize you can actually improve your bone health and maybe people with prediabetes who didn't realize, oh, I'm not destined to get diabetes and people who um, have had this low weight that they thought they couldn't break through. And they're like, oh, maybe that's possible for me. So I think it all starts with belief and you're really inspiring a lot of people in a lot of different buckets. But like, if you make the decision and you learn the information and you take consistent action, you can see improvements in your health. There's one thing that I will also add about bone health is that generally it's assessed via your DEXA scan or your bone density scan, but there's a whole nother component to bone strength, which involves bone quality. And through exercising, and, and that includes things like the, the architecture of the way your bone is arranged, the... Um, the cellular makeup of it, the proteins and how all of that meshes in together. It's more nebulous, so it's not often measured. It's difficult to measure. It's getting easier to measure, but it's often not measured and mine has not. Hmm. But when you exercise, studies indicate that aside from changes in bone density, which may not be huge, there's also changes in bone quality that can happen. And people who have better bone quality are less likely to fracture. So two people who have the exact same density, some may be more susceptible to fractures than other. And um, hmm. so, so that's another component that I couldn't leave out. Yes, thank you. No, thanks for sharing that. Cause you have a lot of expertise in that area and you know, you're living it. So, <laughs> so, you know, well, thanks again, Betty. I really appreciate your time. Nice talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope that you enjoyed today's interview with Betty. I know I've really enjoyed getting to know her better and seeing the progress that she's made, you know, both with her mindset and also with her numbers. I think that it's so important to share stories like this to inspire people If you struggle with osteoporosis or GERD or prediabetes or a weight loss plateau, know that it is totally possible to change your lifestyle and get the results that you're looking for. 
If you want to join Betty and myself in my program, it's very easy. Just go to weightlossforhealth.com forward slash join. And on my website, if you're not quite ready for that, you just want to get a taster for the course, you're going to see a little tab that says free masterclass. And I want you to go and download that today. It's such a powerful masterclass that goes over how to lower your insulin and inflammation so that you can lose weight for good. Now, if you haven't already left a rating and review for this podcast on your listening platform, it would mean the world to me because that helps me reach more people so that I can help more people just like Betty. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, and I'll talk to you same time, same place next week. Bye for now.